like someone gave themselves to me in just a matter of seconds. You ever had someone shake your hand, look you in the eye, and you felt like they were looking into your soul, and they just gave them themselves over to you in just a matter of seconds? And uh, I ne never forget that. And that, that, that sold me on working with this man and under this man in the Seder ministry. And again, I want to thank you, Brother Hooker, for so much uh, of your investment in me. And, uh, uh, you know, not a, not a day goes by that I don't, I don't think about what, what, uh, and the, what God has done and what God has allowed us to do and all the many people that God has allowed to invest in us. And again, your pastor is one of the, one of the greatest men that I know, and I want to thank you. Thank you for it. Uh, well, again, we, uh, your we were introduced earlier. It's my wife, Tracy. And when we first went over to Australia, anytime you want to throw those slides up, that's fine. I'll, I'll play it by ear uh, anyway. But uh, uh, we've been in Australia for the past 10 years now. And uh, I appreciate your turning the globe for us. And uh, uh, it's, it's highlighted uh, Australia right there, if you, want, if you can see Australia on the globe there. And if you'll notice that little bitty... Uh, red dot underneath Australia on the globe here in the front, but uh, you'll see the little red star. That's, that's our hometown of Devonport, Tasmania. We are the small island state just off the southeast coast of, of Australia. If you want to flip over to the next one, that'd be great. This is our little island, and uh, it's about this, well, it's a little larger than the uh, state of West Virginia. It is a state of Australia. But it's a little larger than the state of West Virginia, but it only has a population of about 500,000 people. But can you, imagine, can you imagine a state the size of West Virginia with no gospel preaching church at all? Can you imagine that? That was the state of Australia. I was mentioning it to another missionary tonight. When we, uh, the very month we moved over to Australia, uh, I had heard of the missionary, the only missionary we knew in Tasmania had left Tasmania to go back, come back to the United States for health reasons. And so we were, decide, we were trying to decide, praying about where God would have us. And when I found out there was no other missionary, there's no other a gospel preaching church in the state of Tasmania, in the entire state, it was a no-brainer to us. I just, I just knew that's where God would have us. So we moved down uh, and we started the church in Devonport, Tasmania, if you want to go ahead and move over to the next one. Uh, this is the state flag of Tasmania. You can flip over to the next one. This is our little town. This is Devonport, a uh, population of 26,000 in, in the city limits. And again, and again, not one gospel preaching church here uh, until now, praise the Lord. But uh, in the entire shire, they call it the shire, it's like a county. In our entire shire, and then the shire next to us, and the shire on either side of us, there's a total population in our area of about 50,000 people. And again, not one gospel preaching church here. Not one gospel preaching church in the entire state of Tasmania. But this is our hometown. This is where we moved to. We started out meeting in our home, and uh, God started blessing. We had a couple families come and, come and join with us uh, for church and had a great time and uh, still having a great time serving the Lord. Uh, but uh, within, within the first, I guess, about six months, we found a place to meet. And if you want to flip over, we found uh, the only place we could find to meet was a funeral chapel. And uh, yeah, a lot of great illustrations. Uh, I tell you what, great stuff. But where uh, we we set the pulpit up in the front of the funeral chapel, but at the very back of the funeral chapel, uh, they had a a funeral business, 
And so you'll never guess what they had behind the sliding doors at the very back of the chapel. Yes, coffins all set up. And so when you get tired, you just go back and lay down and, and take a nap. <laughs> But this is our family. We moved over to Australia. This was our family, our five children, Hannah, Aaron, Micah, Jared, and Lily. And now, uh, 10 years later, the only one left with us is Lily. Uh, my oldest daughter married, uh, went to Bible college, married a preacher, and they, they pastor a church over in uh, Jefferson, Georgia. Our oldest son started Bible college. He's now uh, continuing his education down in Austin, Texas. Our middle son, Micah, just married uh, another uh, sweet young girl. Uh, she is a, a missionary's daughter herself, and uh, so they're working with us at our home church in Devonport. Uh, our youngest son, Jared, he's uh, now 21, 22 years old. He's in Bible college himself. And our youngest daughter, Lily, she just graduated high school. She turned 18, and she'll be heading to Bible college in another year. We're going to keep her home for a year, try to educate her, beat some things into her, beat some things out of her. I'm just teasing, but she's a good girl, and, uh, and we do miss her uh, a lot. She's, she has a great spirit. She, she's, well, anyway, I'll leave it at that. She's, this is our, our church and logo, Coastline Baptist Church in Devonport, Tasmania. You can roll over to the next one. Thank you, fellows. And this was our, our, one of our first baptismal services. We rented a house, and uh, it just happened to have a jacuzzi in it. And uh, uh, I, I tell you, <clears throat> missionaries rough it. Amen? We have to rough it sometimes, but we use our jacuzzi as a baptistry if you want to roll over to the next one. And this was a funeral chapel. This is where we started. If you see that little, uh, those gray doors in the very back, if we open those doors, you'd be able to see the, uh, the uh, coffins all laid out there. But this was the church, uh, again, about six months after we started. And uh, we, had a, we had a great beginning. And God has continued to bless. If you just want to roll on through it, fellas, I'd appreciate that. Uh, uh, Tasmania is a very beautiful place. It's got a lot of natural beauty, natural wonders. A lot of folks come down from mainland Australia to holiday in Tasmania just for its natural beauty. They've got a lot of different uh, wildlife, uh, some uh, funny things, some scary things, some ugly things as well, uh, cute things. Uh, but again, we didn't move there for the... Uh, for the birds, we didn't move there for the uh, animals. We didn't move there for the natural beauty. We moved there for the people. God wants to reach people, and God wants to use us to do that. And so, again, this is our, our, our early beginnings of Funeral Chapel. We now meet. We got kicked out of there. The, the man uh, <clears throat> who owned the building ended up coming to church with us and uh, joining our church for a while. And, uh, but he sold the building off, so we had to, we had to leave. And uh, God moved us to a high school. And so we're in a large, <clears throat> excuse me, large auditorium area in the high school. And uh, they have recently told us that they are having to move us out of that area. And so please pray that we would find the place that God would have us to meet as a church next. We're actually, uh, we've been saving money from the inception of the church to be able to, uh, as a building fund, to be able to buy our own place someday. So we're thinking maybe this is the time that God would have us to be able to buy something. And uh, so right now we have... Uh, we have almost $70,000 in a building fund, and, uh, which would be a, 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 a small down payment of a place because prices in Australia are just so, so expensive. So, but again, we've been saving our money and praying like crazy, so please pray with us at, uh, about finding a new building and possibly even purchasing one of our own. Thank you, fellas. I think, is that the last one? This is a veteran missionary couple that retired from uh, Papua New Guinea and moved back to Australia, and they... Their health is, is, is very bad, but they meet with us as often as they can. I just praise the Lord for what, what God has done with us and through us and for us. We have uh, two retired missionaries and one missionary couple working with us. 
And I have, uh, again, I have six young men in our church right now that are preaching and teaching. And I tell you what, God has been so good to us. I, I praise, I, 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 th- I was mentioning Brother Mike today, I thank God that it, God continues to do so much more than even we thought we were able to do, and many times without us on the scene. So we just thank God for what he's doing with us. We've been there 10 years, and I know you're not all about numbers. I'm not either, but I keep track of statistics just to encourage me. Um, and in 10 years of service in Tasmania, God has allowed us to see 182 people saved. And that may not sound like a lot to you, but, but I tell you what, that is a landslide in numbers you know, when it comes to reaching people in Australia. So thank you for allowing us to come. Thank you for your prayers uh, on our behalf before we even got here. And thank you <clears throat> for allowing us to come and for praying for us while we're here. If you haven't already, please get by our table um, in the foyer and grab a prayer card. We would so appreciate you. And again, I tell folks this all the time. If you need to, grab two, grab three, put one in your car, right? Put one on the refrigerator, put one on your table. Hey, tape one to the baseboard to keep the mice away. I don't care. But as long as you take one or two and remember us in prayer, we would so appreciate that. All right? God bless you. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter number 6. John in chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. John in chapter number 6. I, uh, I, I, I may be accused tonight of uh, preaching a pastoral message, and I apologize for that accusation. I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to preach tonight, but uh, uh, again, I don't mean to this, for this to come across as a pastoral message, uh, but uh, I believe it, it, it is a very much a missions message as well. Uh, John, in chapter number six, I want to I talk to you tonight on this one subject, using what you have. Using what you have. Uh, you know, Satan is a master deceiver. Can we all agree with that? Yeah. Satan is a master deceiver. Uh, he's a master deceiver and an expert in discourager. He's an expert discourager. I heard an illustration this week. Uh, this pastor gave an illustration. He said, uh, he said uh, uh, one of, the, one of uh, uh, Satan's uh, d- uh, devils came in and, and, and he, <clears throat> he was looking for, for uh, something to be able to, uh, a tool to be able to use. And Satan himself was having a garage sale. He said Satan was having a garage sale and he had all his old tools set out on a table. And one of his devils came in and say, he said, hey, I need a tool. I need to, I need to, to help, uh, uh, hurt someone or, or affect someone on earth. And I need a tool. And Satan said, well, I just happen, happen, excuse me, I happen to have some tools here for sale. And he looked at one tool and it was, it was practically brand new. And it was, and it was just a, a wonderful looking tool and beautiful and well made and, and art, artistic and just, it's just awesome. And he looked at the tool and the tool was only $5. Only $5. And he said, well, how about this tool? He goes, well, he said, I used it once and he said, it didn't work too well. He said, you're, you're, you're welcome to it. It's only $5. And, and, and it, you know, I don't know what you plan to do with it, but, but it would be okay for your uses. And he walked down the table and one after the other, he went from one tool to the next to the next until he got to the end of the table. And the devil's one of the devil's tools he had at the very end of the table was, was this old tool. It looked like it had been broken. It looked like it had been well used. It was worn. It was almost worn out. And it was, it was cracked. It was muddy. It was dirty. And it, was just, it looked disheveled and, and horrible. Thank you, brother. appreciate that. And uh, he, he said, well, what about this tool? And he looked at the price tag, and the price tag was $100,000. For the brand new tool was five dollars. 
But for the old, broken down, decrepit, disgusting tool at the end of the table was uh, over $100,000. And he said, what, is, what in the world? He said, why would, why would this be? He said, oh, that's my favorite tool. That's my favorite tool. He said, every time I use this tool, it never fails. It never fails to do its job. It has never failed me one time. And he said, what's the name of the tool? He said, discouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Discouragement. Now, look, I want to talk to you about using what you have. Don't let the devil discourage you from using what you have. What you have. Hey, the devil specializes in lying to people. You know, the devil's a liar. The devil, he specializes in lying to people about everything. Are you listening? About what God can do for them. Hey, hey your preacher's talking about uh, filling out this, uh, uh, this uh, what do you call these things? Pledge card. He's talking about, about filling up the pledge card. Look, it's not, about, it's not about you doing for a missionary. Hey, it's about what you believe God wants you to do for a missionary. Hey, look, don't let the devil discourage you about putting an amount down there. Don't let it. Look, the devil's a liar. He specializes, <clears throat> he specializes, he specializes in lying to people about everything, about what God can do for them as well as what they can do for God. You know, Satan's tactics are old and timeless. But they still work. One of Satan's most effective tools is to convince Christians that they're unable to, to accomplish anything for God. That for some reason, Satan, Satan has convinced many that for some reason, God has shortchanged us. That God doesn't give us what we need. Hey, can I tell you, it's a lie of the devil. Before, now, before we get into this, I want you to notice three things. Look at our, look at our verse, John chapter 6. Look at verse number 1. I want to show you, I'm gonna, if it's okay, I'm going to preach a, a, a mini-sermon before we get into the actual sermon, okay? Uh, look at John chapter number 6. Look at verse number 1. John 6 and verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover feast of the Jews was nigh. Verse 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? I want you to notice this. There was a problem. Number one, there was a problem. The people needed bread. There was a problem, and there was a definite, you see that? There was a problem, there was a definite need. Can I tell you something? There will, all, there will never be a day, there will never be a day in the life of a Christian when there will not be a need somewhere. Now, I want you to think about that. They'll never, they'll never you say, I, I just don't know how I'm going to be, uh, God wants me to give $30 a month, oh my goodness, a dollar a day, wow, how is that going to happen? Preacher, why, why? I, don't, I don't understand. You know what? That's a need. And there'll never be a day in the life of a Christian when there will not be a need somewhere. Hey, you know what? I, I, I need money. I've got needs. You know what? He needs money. He needs surgery. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, no, but, yeah, I, and I bet you need money, too. You know what? We have needs. And they're legitimate needs. There'll never be a day in the life of a Christian when there will not be a need somewhere. There will always be needs. People will need care and attention. Missionaries will need support. Sinners will need to be reached with the gospel. Buildings and property will need to be bought and maintained. Children will need to be trained. Marriages will need attention. There is a problem. There is always a need. The people needed bread. Look at verse number 7. Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Hey, there was a problem. Number two, now there's a predicament. There was a problem. 
People need bread. But now there's a predicament. We don't have enough. We don't have enough to feed them. We don't have the bread, but now we don't have the money enough to buy the bread. There was a problem, a legitimate problem, but now there's a predicament. I want you to think about this. Don't answer out loud, please. But just think about this. Name a Bible character. Name a Bible character that didn't face a problem bigger than they were. Think about that. Name a Bible character that didn't face a problem bigger than they were. Hey, let me say this. The need will always be, you're listening? The need will always be bigger than you or what you have to work with. The need will be always bigger than what you have or what you have to work with. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee flew in the car window. A bee flew in the car window. Uh, Since the little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, he became petrified. His father quickly reached out and grabbed the bee. Great dad, right? He grabbed the bee. He held it for a second and then released it. But as soon as he let it go, the young son became frantic once again and was slapping at the bee and wanted to get away from it. The father, uh, again, seeing this, calmed his son, reached out his hand and showed his hand, his, showed his son his hand. And there, stuck in the father's hand in his palm, was the stinger from the bee. You see, the father took the stinger away. He said, I've taken the sting for you. Can I tell you, the Christian doesn't need to be afraid. The Christian doesn't need to be afraid of death because Christ has taken the sting of death for us. Hey, don't be afraid of putting an amount down on this car because it's not you, it's him. Hey, don't be afraid of following the Lord wherever he would have you to go, Brother Thompson, because, because it's not you, it's him. Hey, Brother Johnson, don't be afraid of, of the countries you may ha- God may ask you to visit because it's not you, it's him. It's what God wants to do with us and through us. And it's not just missionaries, it's each and every one of us. If the fact, listen, if the fact that the need is larger than you discourages you, you'll always be discouraged. You'll always be discouraged. Hey, there was a problem. Now there's a predicament. Look at number three, but there's provision. Look at verse number nine. Look at verse number nine. There was a problem. Then there was a predicament. Verse 9, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? You know, I, I, I feel that same way sometimes. To go to a, honestly, to go to a godless country like Australia and dare to start a church. Hey, what are we among so many? Hey, in this, in this area, uh, this, this, this church, listen now, this kind of church, this kind of gospel preaching, gospel reaching church, a soul winning, independent, fundamental Baptist church here in Memphis, man, what are we among so many? You ever thought about that? Hey, there was a, there was a problem and there was a predicament, but now God shows us the provision. There's a lad here, but look, look at what was provided. There was a problem, there's a predicament, and here's what God chose to use to meet the need. Five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now think about this. I, I taught this to our, 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 our church, our folks, a while back. But the barley loaves, you know, how big, you know how big they were? They weren't loaves of bread, okay? I, you've probably taught on this before, but they weren't loaves of bread, okay? They weren't even large rolls. Are you listening? They were biscuits. 
Okay, a barley loaf. Hey, study this. Do your own study. Barley loaf, it was, you ever heard of a cat head biscuit? Yeah, it, it, it's about that big. Okay, now imagine five of these and two small fishes, a boy's lunch. Okay, imagine a boy, a young boy, giving his entire lunch for God to be able to use to feed over 5,000 people. Of course you would look at it and say, what is that among so many? Where there is a need, there will, oh, listen now, where there's a need, there will always be a solution to that need. It will usually come from a place and in a form that is unexpected, but God will always provide a solution to the need. Now, let me, let me, that, was the, that was the pre-sermon, okay? This is the sermon. This is the real thing. Let me say this. Number one, don't minimize what you have. Don't minimize what you have. Using what you have. How can we use what we have? How can we more effectively use what we have? How can we go about seeing what we have that God wants to use? Number one, don't minimize what you have. Verse number nine says, but what are they among so many? You know what they were doing? They were minimizing what God had provided. They were minimizing what God had provided. Look, don't do that. Hey, if God has given you a voice, don't minimize what God has provided. Sing. Sing. Even if, even if, even if your parents ask you not to, all right? If your parents ask you not to, don't sing when they're around, all right? But keep singing. Keep singing. Look, I, I, I love music. I, 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 I've, I've played instruments, and, and I, I, I can sing a little, you know, uh, off-key. But I, 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 no, I, I can sing a little bit. And I, I've actually taught music classes, you know. I know, you're laughing now. <laughs> but, so, but you know what? Hey, can I tell you the number one way to sing better? Hey, it's a foolproof. If you don't think you can sing, here it is. A number one, the number one foolproof way to begin to sing better. You ready for this? Number one, Ready? Sing. Sing. If you want to get better, sing. Hey, if you want to, if you want to preach better, preach. If you, want, if you want to be able to win a soul better, go soul winning. But don't minimize what you have. Many people's first mistake is to mock and belittle what they already have, what God has given them. Don't do that. Don't minimize what you have. How can you expect anybody to respect you if you don't respect what God has given you? How can you expect to accomplish anything for God if you are constantly knocking your own contribution to God's work? Don't minimize what you have. Romans eleven thirteen 13, it says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul said, I magnify mine office. Yes. Paul said, look, I don't care what you think. I know what God has given me, and I need to magnify what... He said, I'm not about minimizing what God has done for me. I want to magnify what God is doing through me. I don't want to minimize the gifts that God has given me. I want to magnify what God is doing through me. Listen, are you minimizing what God has given you? Are you minimizing the talent God has given you? Are you minimizing the, the work ethic God has given you? Are you minimizing the, uh, the, the, the upbringing, the Christian upbringing that God has given you? Are you minimizing the amount of money that you are possibly able to give to missions or to the ministry? Don't minimize it. Magnify it magnify it. Hey, put a magnifying glass on it. Look, look. I, I remember when I first started giving to missions, someone suggested, someone suggested, start at 1%. You tithe 10%, start at 1%. Ignorant. 
And, uh, and uh, you know, can I tell you something? <clears throat> that was 20, <clears throat> over 30 years ago. You know, we give more to missions now than our tithe. And we started small. We started small. But you know what? Brother, you know, it, it, it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind, when, and I still hear this. As a pastor, I still hear this. Pastor, I, I just don't know if I can tithe. I just don't know if I can tithe. You know what I tell them? Look, God gave you the 100%. He's only asking for 10% back. Are you listening? God gave you the 100. He's asking for the 10% back. So if God knows everything, then he knows that you can live off 90. Huh. Hey, if God's put an amount on your heart to give to missions, you know what? God knows you can give it. God knows that he can give it to you. God knows that he can give it through you. God knows. Listen, don't minimize what you have. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Look, of course, what God has given you, and you give back to him, God wants to use that. But you can't do it by yourself. You can't give what God wants you to give by yourself. You can't serve God as God wants you to serve him by yourself. Of course we need God, and we need to give God what we have, what he has given us. Don't minimize what you have. Hey, if God has opened a door for you to teach, don't shirk that opportunity by saying you can't. You'll be minimizing what God has given you. Don't cloak the message with belittling and inferior comments. Preach with authority. Teach with authority. Hey, no door that God opens is little. No door that God opens is finite. No door that God opens is silly. No door that God opens is unassailable. No door that God opens is unable or unimportant. If God gave you, listen now, if God gave you a burden for someone, don't let the devil talk you out of it. If God has given you a burden for a country, don't let the devil talk you out of it. If God, if God has given you a burden for a ministry, don't let the devil talk. Hey, don't minimize what you have. If God gave you a desire to serve him in a ministry, don't talk yourself out of it. Don't minimize what you have. If God has given you the ability to sing, don't make fun of yourself and that gift. Get up and sing. Don't minimize what you have. If God has given you children, don't minimize God's ability to use them mightily in the work of God. Don't minimize what you have. Number two, don't miss what you have. Don't miss what you have. Look at verse number nine again. There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Look, Jesus never answered that specific question. What are they among so many? Make the men sit down. I'll, you know what he's saying? I'll show you. I'll show you. Let me show you. Verse number 10, and Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. You see that? He took the loaves. Jesus took the loaves. What are they among so many? Five biscuits among 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children. Two small fishes among 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children. What are they among so many? And what did Jesus do? He took it. He took the biscuits. He took the fish. And he gave thanks. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples 
and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Number two, don't miss what you have. Jesus took the loaves. He took the boy's lunch. He didn't, listen now, here, here, and here's the point, he didn't look for something else. He didn't look for something else. You know, God's not, listen, we may make fun of what God has given us, but God never shirks what we give him. He never laughs at what we give him. He never laughs at what we sacrifice to make available. He never, sure, he never laughs at. He never balks, uh, balks at. He, he, he never, listen, God wants everything that we will and can give him. He took the loaves. Man is on this side saying, but what is this among so many? And God's on this side saying, let me show you what I can do with what you gave. Listen, don't miss what you have. What you have, God wants. What you have, God gave you, and he is waiting for you to invest in him. Don't miss what you have. Let me ask you this. Did God give it to you? Then use it. You don't, listen now, here, here it is. You don't need what someone else has. You just need to give God what you have. Are you listening? You don't need someone else's testimony. You just need to use yours. You know what, we, we, all get, we all get saved the same way. We all, uh, listen, if you're here tonight and you, you're, you're saved, that means that you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, okay? If, you, if you're on your way to heaven, uh, heaven tonight, it's because uh, you chose, you allowed Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself. You allowed Jesus to take your place. You allowed him to pay your debt. You allowed him to give you a gift. You allowed him to do for you what you could not do for yourself, and that's to die for sin, if you're saved tonight, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. We all get saved by trusting Christ, but you know what? We don't all get there the same way. You know, when I, when I was, I didn't get saved until I was 15 years old, and I feel like I got saved later in life. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church. I got one even better than that. How many of you were born in a Baptist hospital? I was born a Baptist, amen? Hey, what's that? Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead, amen? But I was born in a Baptist hospital. But, uh, hey, I wasn't even a week old, and I was taken to a Baptist church. I was put in the nursery. I, I grew up in church my whole life, and it was a Baptist church, but it wasn't a Baptist church like this one. It was a church that, that, that they believed that the gospel was something, they believed that salvation was something that God did, that that maybe and hopefully that you would have a part in that someday if God, if God providentially chose you to go to heaven. That, that, that's the kind of church I Hey, I remember hearing the gospel preached, but it didn't make much sense. It wasn't presented as something that I needed to do. But as a 15-year-old boy, I tell you what, God got a hold of my heart, and I knew it was something I needed to do. I was under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I walked forward in the service in a Baptist church wanting to be saved, Brother Patrick. I walked forward in the Baptist church wanting to be saved. I came down to the front. I shook my pastor's hand, and I said, Pastor, I need to be saved. And my pastor, Pastor Gene Schultz, as good a man as he was, shook my hand, patted me on the back, told me I was a good little boy, and sat me on the front pew. When the service was over, he stood me up. He said, Folks, Dave Westbrook came forward to be saved. Aren't we all happy about that? 
Let's all file by and shake Dave's hand and tell him how proud we are of him for coming forward. But can I tell you, nobody opened a Bible to show me how I can know for sure I was on my way to heaven. Every person in that church filed by and shook my hand and told me how proud they were of me, but no one opened the Bible to show me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. Nobody showed me that I was a sinner, that I, that I had to pay for my sin, but Jesus Christ paid my debt already, and I could have my sins forgiven and a home in heaven by trusting what he did on Calvary, not what I could do for him. No one showed me that. I went home after that service, lost. You know, I'd borrowed my mom's car that night to drive myself to church. I didn't want to get back in that car, Brother Webb. I had seen too many movies. I had heard too many stories. I didn't want to get back in that car and drive eight minutes down, back to my house. I just knew I was going to wind up in, in a ditch somewhere dead, burning in hell. I was scared. You know, but more than scared, you know, the overall emotion that I was experiencing that night was anger. How can my, how can my pastor do that to me? Walk forward in the service, how could he do that? I want to be saved. How could these, these folks that say they love me, how can they not show me how I can go to heaven? And, and I'll be honest with you, I was angry at God. How could God, through his conviction, bring me to that point and then not show me? I was scared. I was mad, angry. I walked back to my seat, and I picked up my Bible, and there were some other papers on the pew, and I just scooped them up and shoved them into my Bible. I was angry. I got back in my, in my mom's car and, and very carefully drove home that, that night. When I got home, I, I remember walking in the house, slamming the door behind me, walking into my bedroom, and I shouldn't have done it. Don't ever do this. I shouldn't have done it. But I walked in my room. I was so angry. I w threw the door open, and I threw my Bible across the room. I was so angry and scared, just full of emotion. I threw my Bible across the room. It hit my bed on the other side of the room. And when it hit the bed, all the it just exploded. All the papers that I picked up at church, they just exploded all over my room. That just made me even angry, and I got to pick it all up. I walked over to my bed and started scooping up the, the papers. And one of the papers I picked up was a gospel tract. I don't know how it got there. I don't remember seeing it on the pew. It was just a paper that I had picked up. But I sat there on my bed, with, and I read through that gospel tract. And I got saved, not at church, not at a Baptist church. Hey, not with uh, my pastor showing me the Bible, not with someone in that church sharing the gospel with me. I got saved in my home, on my bed, reading a gospel tract. Hey, that's how I got saved. Hey, I trusted Jesus just like Brother Mike did. I trusted Jesus just like you have. But my, I have a testimony that you don't have. Hey, I have something that God gave me, a testimony of salvation that you don't have. But you know what? You've got a testimony I don't have. You know what? Someone out there needs to hear the testimony that God gave me. And someone needs to hear the testimony that God gave you. You have something that God gave you that I don't have. And God wants you to invest that. God wants you to use that. Don't minimize what you have. Number two, don't miss what you have. God gave you a testimony. Use yours. Can I say this? You don't need another testimony. You don't need someone else's testimony. You just need to use the one you have. You don't need another husband. You just need to love and support the one you have. 
Don't miss it. You don't need another wife. You need to love and lead the one you have. Are you listening? You don't need someone else's kids. You need to train and raise the ones you have. You don't need someone else's preaching ability or singing ability or talent. You just need to use what you have. Listen now, you don't need someone else's ministry or calling. You just need to use the one you have. Are you ready? You don't need someone else's income. You don't need someone else's income. Oh, pastor, uh, I just can't see my way through tithing. But, but you know what? Hey, as soon as I win the lotto, I'll tithe. Hey, as soon as God gives me a better job, I'll tithe. Hey, as soon as God adds another zero on the end of my yearly income, I'll start to tithe. No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't use what God gives you then because you're not using what God gives you now. Listen now, you don't need someone else's income or job. You just need to tithe off the one you have. Don't minimize what you have. Number two, don't miss what you have. Moses' rod at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, God asked, what is in thine hand? God didn't want him to go looking for something that he didn't have. He wanted to use what he had. David in Saul's armor, David said, I haven't proved this. Hey, David, God didn't ask David to go find some armor that he had no business using, that he had never proved. No, God asked David to simply use what he had, which was a sling. The three Hebrew children, we don't need the king's meat, they said. We just, we're used to beans anyway. Give us our diet, they said. Samson used the jawbone of an ass to kill a thousand Philistines. The widow of Zarephath used a handful of meal and oil and two small sticks. Gideon had only 300 men. Elisha used the mantle of Elijah to smite the water of the Jordan River. Esther used her relationship with the king to save her people. Many folks will never do anything for God because they fail to simply accept what they have as something that God allowed, that God gave them, and that God can use. God's not waiting for you to come into any more talent than you already have. He's waiting for you to use what you have. God's not waiting, you listening? God's not waiting for you to come into any more money before you can invest in God's work. God's waiting for you to use what you have. When you begin to think that you don't have what you need, you begin to miss what you do have. When you begin to think that what you have is not good enough, you're missing what you do have. When you begin to think that God is keeping something from you, that the world has robbed you, that someone else has what you deserve, you're missing what you do have. Let me move on to number three. Number one, don't minimize what you have. Number two, don't miss what you have. Number three, don't misappropriate what you have. Don't misappropriate what you have. Look at verse number 11 again. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Hey, you misappropriate what you have when you don't get God involved. You misappropriate what you have, excuse me, when you don't get God involved. You know, every one of the instances we mentioned earlier turned out amazing, just amazing, because God got involved. I love that song. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Look, when you get God involved, great things can happen. Hey, don't miss out what God can do with what you have by failing to ask him to intervene. 
you know, Moses' rod part of the Red Sea when God got involved. David's sling brought down a giant when God got involved. Samson's jawbone killed a thousand men when the Spirit of God got involved. Gideon's 300 defeated the Midianites when God got involved. Elisha parted the Jordan River when he called on the God of Elijah and God got involved. Esther was granted access to the king when God's people fasted and prayed and God got involved. Hey, the three Hebrew boys, uh, their pulse and water yielded better results when God got involved. Hey, don't blow what you have to work with by failing to get God involved. You misappropriate what you have when you fail to get God involved. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, the Bible says, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You misappropriate what you have when you fail to get God involved. And number two, you misappropriate what you have when you don't give out what God has given you. When you don't give out what God has given you. You know, the Lord gave, the Lord had the gall, Jesus had the brass to take this young lad's lunch. Five biscuits and two small fishes. And then he prayed, thanked his heavenly father for it, and began breaking it up into pieces. And what did Jesus do with that lunch? He gave to the disciples. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Is this a joke? Really? This is a boy's lunch, and now you're splitting it 12 ways? That's, that's called a snack. And then they started splitting it up between all the men and women and children. That's called crumbs. <laughs> but no, they took it. Jesus gave it to his disciples and they, listen now, and they distributed it. They distributed. They didn't hang on to it. No matter how small it looked to them, they didn't hang on to it. They were faithful to pass it on. You, you understand what I'm saying? They didn't, as much as they were, as hungry as they were, and as tempted as they were, they didn't hang on to those morsels that they were given. Hey, if it looked small among 12, imagine how it looked among 5,000, but they were faithful to pass it on. They didn't hang on. They didn't circle the wagons. They didn't put in their pockets. They didn't run away. Ha, 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 look what we got. They distributed it. They didn't divide it among themselves and circle the wagons. They didn't have a shouting fit and thank God for supplying their need and keep it to themselves. They distributed it among those who were in need. Now think about it. I've done the math on this. Each disciple was given less than, listen now, less than half of a biscuit and one-sixth of a small fish. Now that's seriously small. What are they, what is that among so many? But again, it sounds kind of like the gospel. I mean, look at what God has given us. And look at the task God has given us. God wants to go ye into all the, I'm sorry, Jesus. Can you say that again? Go ye into all the, wait a second. I know I've got it ringing in my ears, but can you, one more time. Go ye into all the world. Seriously? Really? 
you want us to reach the world. What is that among so many? Remember what I said? The need is always greater. Compare what the disciples were given. Oh, did I mess it up? Hey, compare what the disciples were given. Are you listening? Compare what the disciples were given and asked to give away with what they got back in return after feeding and filling everyone who was hungry. What were they given? Less than half a biscuit and one-sixth of a fish. What do they get back? Baskets. 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 You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? Hey, you know what? I think God's still waiting for your biscuit so he can bless you with a basket. Why don't you give God your biscuit and expect by faith the basket. God wants to bless you. But God's waiting for you to use what you have. Use what you have. God said to Moses, what is that in thine hand? And then God asked him to throw it down. Let go of it. And let God do something amazing with it. A pastor got up in front of his church. He said, I got some good news and bad news. The good news is, are you listening? The good news is, praise the Lord, God has given us the money we need to make the needed repairs to the church. Not only that, but God has given us the money needed to buy the tracks that we need to run the buses to support. Hey, isn't God good? God has given us all the money we need to support our missionaries, to pay the bills. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great, folks? Hey, pastor, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is it's still in your pocket. You know, the Bible still says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. You know what? What God has given us is, is his riches. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from his Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything God has given you belong to him anyway. What you have tonight, God wants you to use it. God wants you to use it. Hey, don't minimize what you have. Don't minimize what God gave you. Number two, don't miss what you have. Don't, don't miss what God has revealed to you. Number three, don't misappropriate what you have. Don't mi misappropriate why God gave it to you. Use what you have. Use what you have. Use what you have in your hands. Let's all pray. How to do it. And that somebody is all through the book of this Bible right here.